Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right, my friends. You have tuned in to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. It is good to be here. We're going to get into some stuff today. Spend our time together talking about the arguments um, that were heard yesterday before the Supreme Court of the United States, and this is um, monumental, monumental potential case here. We're going to go through a lot of these things. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to talk about some concepts, some, it, a lot of stuff to get to today. If you listened to the Supreme Court arguments yesterday, um, you know, folks do this more today than maybe they did even a short time ago. Um, I'm wondering if this is something, you know, some folks have listened or read the cases and so forth for a long time. Others may be new to doing this. And I just want to give some some framework on, on that and talk about the case, talk about what's going on, talk about some of these concepts and how they apply to this abortion debate, which is what we're going to talk about today. So I know it's heavy. I do know it's heavy. We'll keep it as, you know, I hate to say light because we are talking about, you know, that I'm pro-life. I don't make any qualms about that. We're talking about ending the life of unborn children. And so I don't mean to say that you can make light of that, but I will try to not get too too heavy. Um, but I do want to cover some of these things. I think it's important. Email with thoughts, questions, feedback, even adoration and praise is still accepted there. Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. And so let's get right right to it. So I want to go back in time a little bit um, and kind of tell you my personal uh, – I had – some of you may have been to the Supreme Court to hear oral, oral arguments before. I had that opportunity when I was a student at American University in Washington, D.C. back in the spring of 1999. And we heard a couple of cases uh, that were argued before the court that day. Um, and I just want to tell you some of my initial observations, things that I think if you've not been there to hear the arguments, then there's no cameras, uh, you know, there, there's no television, televised hearings from the courtroom like we have seen in some of the other, uh, criminal cases and so forth in recent months or actually recent days with the, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. But it's quite an amazing thing. We had to get there early in the morning. In fact, we saw the sunrise, and the way that the sun hit the Capitol, it made it look pink. It was beautiful. We had to get there early, um, lined up outside the Supreme Court, walked in, you know, went through the whole metal detector. Again, this was in 1999. This was pre-9-11, so I'm sure that the security process is a little bit different. Not that it was lax back then, but a little bit different. So you go into the courtroom, you sit down, and there's... Um, 
gentlemen standing around the court watching, uh, watching individuals in the courtroom. Um, I'm not entirely sure what their title or position is. I have a guess, but I don't want to say because I don't know if it's wrong <laughs> on this on the fly here. But anyway, so so you sit down, you watch, and there's there's this kind of rounded desk table that they the nine justices come out all dressed in their black robes and it's quite a remarkable scene for me as at the time i was 21 years old i it left an impression on me it was a it was a really amazing moment to see and to to see those justices of course the court was comprised of different individuals some that are still the same uh, but but a lot of different individuals. For example, Scalia was on the court when I was there. Scalia, it's the first time I've ever felt, what do I want to say, a little bit um, sorry for an attorney <laughs> because uh, the attorney, I forget the case uh, that we were actually listening to at the time, the attorney that was on the side that Scalia had issues with got into his opening remarks or whatever they call these and Scalia pounced, and I mean, Scalia was just rapid-fire question, boom, 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 and I don't even know if the guy was able to get through his, his opening kind of statements and so forth, but the way it's set up is you, you know, you get to make, um, you get to make your case, and then the justices ask questions if they so desire. They don't have to, but they have that opportunity. Then the other side responds, same sort of thing, oral arguments, wrap up and then the court will later meet and vote on on this of course there's nine justices um don't want to make this too painfully obvious but you have to have at least five (laughs) five uh, assuming all nine vote um that's how cases are are decided um and there'll be some debate and so forth sometimes but um, and then someone is chosen to have to write the opinion and the dissent, and sometimes uh, someone has another opinion that's not exactly in line with the dissent or with the um, with the majority decision. The the side that actually is writing the opinion of the court officially, the side that has the most votes. So there might be other opinions in there as well if justices want to include other things that they feel are important so there's a whole process here right and i remember i remember sitting there uh with my friend uh my roommate as well howell and he was um he had actually he had told me this i it wasn't he had been one other time he was thinking like listening to arguments and had his hand his head in his hand and was kind of leaning with his uh, knee on his elbow and one of those security guards or whatever their titles are kind of snapped at him like hey sit up I don't I think they didn't know if he was uh, drawing something taking notes they you it was pretty strict in there anyway so you have the nine justices some of them are very active and vocal and there's there, there's a whole process going on here right there's it's not it's not just someone asking questions sometimes it is but sometimes it's a justice trying to make a point in the case sometimes it's a justice trying to put thoughts in the minds of the other justices and uh, you know let's let's 
think about this particular issue as they're saying this and that sort of thing. So there's a whole performance. But one of the things that struck me the most, this was in 1999, Clarence Thomas was still on the court. I distinctively remember, of course, I was 21. I didn't know much about Clarence Thomas. He hadn't been, I think, what he was appointed to the court in 90, I want to say 92 or 93. So he had been on there six, seven years at that particular time. And I remember being kind of shocked at first now i don't feel this way now because i actually appreciate what he's doing but it looked like he was asleep he would sit there with his eyes closed and tilt his head back as he was listening to the oral arguments being presented by the attorneys in the case and he very very rarely asks any questions in fact now i don't know in recent years if he's if it's changed but he would go long periods of time, many hearings or cases without even asking a question. In fact, just a handful of times uh, a, a, a term, or is that, is that the right word for it, a term of the Supreme Court when they're hearing new cases. It would just be a handful of times that he would ask a question. Yesterday in this hearing, he was the first one to get right to it. Now, this is a case. We're looking at some fundamental um, – some very fundamentally questionable and, dare I say, divisive decisions that this court has made as it pertains to Roe versus Wade and the Casey case, which are, are the two cases that are kind of being brought in into this fold as the state of Mississippi is trying to get the Supreme Court to allow it to – extend protections for unborn children from uh, what they call viability to, to 15 weeks. So the, the state of Mississippi wants to restrict abortions to being those that are before the 15-week threshold. Now, the pro-choice community is vehemently against this, of course. They want to protect what they call I'm trying to be fair here at the beginning. <laughs> you know what I think about this. They want to protect what they call a woman's right to choose. They are talking about terms like viability. I'll, we'll go through this. And so there's some legal mumbo-jumbo happening here. But there's also some really basic, commonsensical questions that are being asked. And, of course, it's interesting to me, as I've listened to these oral arguments, I've got – maybe 15 or 20 minutes is about about two hours i've listened to about an hour and 40 minutes so i think i got about 20 minutes i didn't get through the whole thing i just didn't have time but i got through the vast majority of it um but what is interesting to me is that the side that is trying to prevent this law from being implemented and from having roe versus wade at least changed in some capacity or potentially overturned completely they are, and I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying that there's a lot. That, in the pro-choice community, there is more uncertainty and fear about the state of so-called woman's right to choose, the right to an abortion, um, than at any other moment in, I, I mean, modern. For many of you, this is, you know, this, uh, if you're younger, in your entire life, if you're a little bit older, maybe there's been a couple of times, but this is this is up there. I mean, Roe versus Wade. There's some things here that um, could drastically 
affect that. And one of the reasons for that is because Donald J. Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices in his four years as president of the United States. The left is upset about this, by the way. You'll remember the first was Neil Gorsuch. The second was Brett Kavanaugh. The third was Amy Coney Barrett. And um, all of these folks, now it's interesting, (laughs) you you go through the hearings, right, the hearings that they have before the Senate, and the senators want to hear the, you know, the the liberal senators want to get these conservative, I I just say justices that want to interpret the law as intended and as written, but they want to get them to say, I want to overturn Roe versus Wade, and then they will say, well, we can't have this person on the court because they've already made a decision on a case that may be before them. We can't have a corrupted individual or someone who's already made a decision on this, so that's a bad choice. Let's throw this person out. And so these justices all say the right thing, and and it is true. I can't tell you how I'm going to decide on a certain case, how I would vote on a certain case until I hear the merits of the case. That's a fair fair assessment. Now, the left is out there saying that these Trump appointees are all lying about this. I heard some of these uh, MSNBC joke. I think it was MSNBC jokers making this point. All the Trump nominees lied because they've already got their minds. Well, how does he know? How does he know? Did Elena Kagan lie because I know how she's going to vote on this case? Did Sonia Sotomayor lie because I know how she's going to vote on this case? Did Uh, Stephen Breyer lie because I know how he's going to vote on this case? No, not necessarily. Possibly, but not necessarily, right? Anyway, so there's all this stuff going on. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, you go back, elections, elections matter. Elections have consequences. I'm reminded the makeup of the court currently, they'll tell you a six conservatives and three, uh, three liberals, which is not the way I like to think about it. I don't think – I think you have three clear activist judges, which are the liberals. You have people who are truly trying to interpret the law in spite of what their own preferences are, and that would include at least a portion of the conservatives. And then you got the John Roberts type who God only knows what this guy's going to do. I, I have no faith in this guy. This guy, he's 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 not principled. His – He's he gives in to pressure. He, I think he wants to be accepted in the DC circle uh, circles and so forth, which means you have to vote with the liberals. So, but you got Alito, you got Thomas. Th- these are people who actually try to fairly apply uh, apply the law. I think Amy Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch. We're still waiting to see how um, you know where the chips fall with these particular. Justices, I don't mean to imply that they're going to be liberal activist judges, but I am saying we don't necessarily know. There are pressures. I mean, look, the reality is in today's highly politicized world, especially a case like abortion, you've got this, you've got this issue out there that is incredibly polarizing, right? You got one side like me who says um, that this is ending the life of a human being. Uh, an unborn child. You got another side that says uh, the government's trying to take away the rights and the liberties of women, which really is, in a sense, that is what the uh, defenders of or the folks that want to see this law struck down are saying. I mean, they they've said as much. This is an issue of, of liberty. Um, 
the other side, the side that's representing the state, is saying effectively that you know this this is uh, the merits of the Roe versus Wade and the Casey case are are wrong, and we think that if they are wrong, the court should kick those things to the curb and do what's actually right here, which doesn't mean that abortion is outlawed. This is critically important. Instead, what it means is that the federal government is is silent on the issue and they return to the states the right to choose what they so desire. Or I suppose Congress uh, could come up with a federal law. But this is ultimately – that's what should happen here. Whether they do that remains to be seen. If you listened to the exchange, there's at least hope that they are going to consider that, throwing out, of course, Breyer, Kagan, and uh, Sonia Sotomayor. But the others may certainly consider doing that. So I want to talk about this today. I want to talk about things like um, stare decisis. I want to talk about viability in terms that are practical and just easy to understand because – these things are not as – there's certainly legal things that are well beyond my – but we're not going to get into the – you know, Kavanaugh listed probably 8 or 10 or 12 cases that the court has overturned in the past, uh, previous Supreme Court cases. And he was asking why should we be so leery of overturning cases when the court has done it before. Of course, the left is saying – stare decisis says that you don't want to – uh, overturn precedent because that undermines what the Supreme Court is there for. It makes it look political. Of course, my my point, my question is: if it looks political to overturn it, was it not political the first time when the when the courts literally created something out of thin air? I mean, the the, the term abortion is not in the Constitution. Uh, the, the other things that they they talk about and they cite are not in. The Constitution, I mean, you have to extrapolate and assume a lot of things to get to that decision. So we're going to break these things down, and we'll talk about them when we get back. But I do want to say this really quickly before I take a break. I know this is a sensitive issue. I know typically conservatives are pro-life, but not necessarily, uh, not necessarily all of you. And, and uh, I, hope to, I hope to persuade today. Um, but even that aside... I, I want to say this, and this goes from anything I say from this point forward today, but if you are someone who has had an abortion, this is not at all. This program is not at all designed to help you or to, to make you feel more uh, – to, to stir up those emotions and to heap guilt upon you. I serve a God that is a forgiving and graceful God, and he will forgive you. And I've seen groups that have sought to bring about healing for women who really struggle with this years and years later, which is an understandable thing, right? So this is not to heap insults or to cause pain for those folks. I, I think that sometimes we forget that, uh, and that's easy to, to get into the merits of what the points are and not talk about this. But I think we need to do that for a moment. And the other thing is not everybody – who is pro-choice, um, is some now, – now, there's pro-abortion people, people who are out there celebrating their abortions. I That, to me, is – that's an evil thing. But there are people who are pro-choice 
who said, hey, I would never get an abortion, but they're, they're thinking about you know, what the life of a child would look like um, if they were raised by some of these families that were going to take care of them anyway. I don't, that's really glossing over what it means to be a human being and the value of human life, but some people are coming at it from a good, I, I know that may sh- sh- uh, shock some of you to hear me say that, but I do think that some folks are really trying to say, how do we protect um, how do we protect children after they're born? Which is not, which is a good thing, too. It's just we're really saying we're ending the life of an unborn child, a human life, and that can never be uh, a good thing. That is not a good thing. So we'll talk about these things as the program unfolds today. So sit tight, my friends. Listen to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. <laughs> My friends, by the way, this program brought to you in part by my friend Greg Kubler Chevrolet. Greg Kubler Chevrolet, located conveniently just outside of Indianapolis in Canby, down Kentucky Avenue, State Road 67. If you're in the market for a new car or used car, want to see what you can get for your car on a trade or outright sell, check them out. Be sure to tell them that you heard about them here on the Todd Huff Show. Greg Hubler Chevrolet in Canby. Appreciate them being a part of the program. So there's lots of things that I want to get to today. And, you know, I it's hard to, to pull sound bites together for this just because of the sheer amount of information and um, what we wanted to, to, to pull it out. And, and context matters for a lot of this stuff. But um, I want to share really what you know what where we are so the state of mississippi makes passes a law 15 weeks becomes the new point um for instead of viability which is what 24 weeks i think they say 15 weeks is when we're going to start regulating abortions where we're going to actually come in and say this can't you know you can't have an abortion after this point in time so, of course, this goes to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court has ruled that the state doesn't have an interest that, or doesn't the, the, the state's interest in regulating abortions does not supersede the, the, the woman's uh, right, liberty, to choose to have an abortion. Quick time out, by the way. Let me say this. I noticed during the oral arguments – that the only people that they mentioned that could have babies were women. I did I did find that uh, interesting, and I think that that's worth pointing out. This uh, this was framed as women's liberties, uh, which don't let the radical left hear that because they will go insane on their own. But anyway, so so the case goes to the Supreme Court, and so what the Supreme Court effectively is trying to do is balance. Okay. We've made a ruling in the past, and it's understandable that the Supreme Court doesn't want to just willy-nilly change it because um, it's got new justices. There, there's, and that's where this stare decisis thing comes in. It's really – this concept is really just what's the precedent? What's the precedent? You know, This court is trying to build you know, kind of a framework around the Constitution that they can rely upon – um, and, and lawmakers can rely upon 
giving some sort of direction and consistent feedback on what the Constitution means, how laws are interpreted, all this sort of stuff. The problem is, what happens if a decision is egregiously wrong? And I would maintain that the Roe versus Wade case is very egregiously wrong. This could be very egregious. Egregious is bad enough. Very egregious. So, and the reason for that is number one, the court found in the Constitution, you know, the same court that has trouble sometimes finding the Second Amendment, they they couldn't see it even though it's written right there in front of their faces. The same court has difficulty, uh, who has difficulty doing that, finds the right to an abortion in there, just like they found a right to gay marriage in the Constitution. Now, you can be pro-choice or pro, uh, pro-life or pro-gay marriage or pro-traditional marriage or whatever, uh, but these are, these are matters that are meant to be decided by, uh, by the people, right? And so, again, we go back. I, there's, there's just so many intersecting thoughts and ideas and, and things that we need to take note of. We have – this is a constitutional republic, and that matters – because what it what it means is that you have rights given to you by God, not by the government, that the government cannot take away. And the founders took time to enumerate some of them, not all of them, but some of them. And so when the founders enumerated some of these, what they were effectively uh, trying to do was was give some sort of framework for how what liberty was and that, these things are given to these freedoms are given to us by God, um, and the government can't take those away, even if all the other people in the world want to do that. And so, on the one hand, you would say, "Well, Todd, that's cut and dry because we got a bunch of people telling a woman that she can't have an abortion." And I would agree to a point, and this is a critically important point. We're talking about the life of another human being who, by the way, may be female. So when we talk about the right of a, of a, of a woman or the, the right of uh, females, what about the rights of females in the womb? And not just females. I mean, I'm just pointing that out because this is positioned as though it's the rights of women. And I, I would say I'm not talking – I'm not trying to say a woman can't make decisions first. So that's, that's preposterous. That goes against – the core of everything I believe. But you can't choose to do things that directly impact the life, liberty, and happiness of someone else. And now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. So now the court the court came up in the Roe versus Wade case, in my opinion, with one of the stupidest things ever, some arbitrary number. They say, okay, we don't know when life begins. We don't want to debate that. We don't want to – because they don't want to debate that. I'll tell you why, because it's, it's abundantly clear when life begins, these same folks who preach science to us constantly tell us that they're pro-science and that Republicans are anti-science cannot for the life of them figure out when life begins. The same folks who believe that the first cause, the Big Bang, if you will, was caused by nothing, that the universe was self-created, which is a preposterous statement to begin with. I mean, how do you have a series of cause and effects when the initial cause wasn't a cause. It was just anti, anti-logical to say that nothing created itself. It's, it's absurd. 
So those same people who hold true to those principles are very are very adamant that life either doesn't begin at conception or we just have no way of knowing. I ask you this, if a if life was discovered on Mars, just a single-celled organism, an amoeba on Mars, what would the headlines in the newspapers or the you know online sources at CNN, what would it be tomorrow? Life discovered on Mars, right? I, it should be. But what if I told you that at conception, the egg and the sperm cell is twice the amount of cells that an amoeba has in Mars, but yet they don't recognize the human life in the womb. And so the clear point here is that what makes this an egregious decision was that one of the uh, one individual, the unborn child, was totally neglected in this decision. And not just that, some arbitrary number was set forth, 24 weeks, and this concept of viability, which I'll go over next next segment, was established as some sort of legal principle or precedent that the folks that are trying to argue for this law being sh- uh, stricken down act like this is this is some brilliant uh, decision by the court. It's absurd. 24 weeks, do you know, by the way, that there's been, in fact, a year ago, one of the babies, the youngest baby ever to you know be born and to survive 21 weeks uh, 21 weeks five days or three days something like that so we actually have documented scientifically proven right that that unborn children are viable at least three weeks before the mystical magical ambiguous uh arbitrary ultimately number of 24 weeks so we'll talk about we'll talk about viability after the break and just how silly and absurd that is so we'll get to that when we get back sit tight my friends back in just a minute welcome back my friends so let's talk about really what this case is or at least what was argued uh, during oral arguments yesterday, which came down effectively to um, this concept of viability. And so I remember talking about this, debating this in, in college. And so the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade effectively set a, a viability uh, a, a range to where, you know, this is where abortions can be done without the state restricting them. Um, and this concept basically was that if the fetus, unborn child, could survive outside of the mother's womb, um, that was the point of, of viability. And so I guess the thinking was that if a – remember, this is supposed to be con- <laughs> constitutional. The, the, this is completely arbitrary. That where where this notion of viability comes from is uh, is is completely illogical, because the person in the womb is either a human or they're not. Whether I mean one's ability to survive outside of a womb or outside of an incubator if you're born prematurely or outside of a hospital room that you're not less human, right? So they come up with this concept that says viability. 
viability, 24 or whatever it is, 24 weeks. Now we've got babies that are born at 21 weeks in a couple of days. So, I mean, science, folks, again, science has proven that viability is not at 24 weeks. So isn't it at least uh, necessary to adjust for what we've learned from science? I mean, what does Fauci say about this? <laughs> Can we get Fauci's input on this? Some folks live and die by what, live, you know, just live their entire lives determined based upon what Dr. Fauci tells them to do. Sometimes ridiculous stuff. Remember the goggles and gloves, double mask, all this stuff. Remember this stuff? I remember it. Anyway, so that's really what's kind of hanging in the balance here. And so the court, the court doesn't want to overturn a precedent unless it is so egregiously ridiculous, which again, this concept of viability is totally preposterous. There's no law. There's nothing in the Constitution. It was just some arbitrary figure that was thrown out by some justice or whatever, and they said, yeah, let's go with that. But see, that's not the problem, and that's not the, the, the purpose, I should say, of the Supreme Court. And there's some things that I think having this case brought before us and just some, some things that I think were brought up through this I got that I want to share with you, some, some lessons, some things that we talk about, some concepts that are talked about on this program each and every day. And they are, I mean, they are being brought into to question here or they're, they're, it's, it's being highlighted, I guess I should say. Some of these, uh, some of these things are brought to life. Some of the problems we have with, with the court and just some of these decisions in general. And we'll talk, hit on those before uh, we wrap up here for today. So sit tight, get back from the break. We'll continue our discussion back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So I think there's things that we've already learned or can learn from what we're hearing and seeing at this, uh, at least, well, during this this case before the Supreme Court about abortion. I think first and foremost, we should all be reminded of how dangerous activist judges are. And, you know, a lot of people erroneously say, I get conservative and liberal justices, but honestly, folks, if we had people that applied the law consistently, regardless of political party and all that, it really wouldn't even matter if... I know that's living in a bit of a fantasy world, but that's uh, – my point is is that if people were consistent and actually interpreted and applied the law as written and as intended by the founders and by lawmakers, um, we wouldn't have some of these problems. Roe versus Wade was a decision created by activist judges. Um, the other thing is I think it's important that we understand that there needs to be care when the court overrules – cases this is i mean the court just shouldn't willy-nilly decide to, to flip something uh because there's a new group of people on board but with that said if a previous decision was egregious or you know reached a ridiculous what uh, was reached as a, as a ridiculous conclusion or decision then it's obviously something the court needs to take the responsibility to do and i hope that they that they do it here um, 
I find it ironic that the left is saying one of the reasons we cannot overturn this case is because it would make it political. It's almost as though they're admitting that they know that the original case was political, and a political decision should not be inside the court. In fact, that's why that's why the founders had judges be appointed. They didn't have to be elected by people because it wasn't political. It was supposed to be – they had a job to do, which was interpret the law and the constitution. But now they're acting like activists, many of them, but the left is anyway. And by saying if you overturn this, it's going to make it political, I think it's actually pointing out how political the decision was to begin with, which actually suggests or would require someone, if you take that to its logical conclusion, to overturn the decision because the court should not be engaged in political decisions. They should be engaged in making interpreting the law and applying it fairly and consistently. I also think through this that we can understand, clearly see, what I mean when I say on this program consistently, what you already know, that worldview precedes politics. Because if you talk if you come into the courtroom and you're talking about the fetus and you're not, you know, you're not talking about this as a as a human being with with rights, you're talking about um you know a, it being an issue of liberty whether someone should be able to get an abortion you're overlooking your worldview has tainted what was really at play here so quick time out concluding thoughts when we get back sit tight my friends back in just a minute welcome back my friends just a few a few concluding thoughts here before i've got to wrap up one of those is this issue of viability is completely arbitrary and capricious. It is, it is just at the whims of whoever is in charge. And by the way, I want to point out that for the side that lectures us constantly, they the left tells us they're on the side of democracy. Republicans are on the side of insurrection and fascism, which is completely absurd and laughable and silly. But, 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 but. What they are – it would seem to me, and let's say it this way, if they were consistent, they were consistent in actually wanting people's input on things like abortion. They would want it to go back to the states, right? Instead of – that's all that would happen, by the way, if Roe versus Wade's, Ray, Wade was turned over. If I can spit it out here in the waiting moments, got to go. Thanks for listening. SDGC tomorrow. Take care.